Welcome to the Innovation Conversation, a podcast about innovators, both in business and real life. Hosted by myself, Ricardo Pesqual, and Harry McDonough. Today's episode is sponsored by Hyperskill. Hyperskill is a learning and training platform that enables people from all over the world to learn new tech skills. If you're looking to learn new tech skills, this is a platform to choose. You can find out more about them on hyperskill.org. Today, we are talking with Sonny Kara from Teletrive about her journey in creating the new mental health marketplace. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Innovation Conversation. Today, we are joined by Sonia Kara from um, Teletrive, and she's going to tell us all about her latest startup and what exactly she's doing. Sonia, if you want to introduce yourself to the audience, me and Harry are both very, very excited to have you here. Amazing. Um, yeah, it's awesome to be here. So, yeah, I'm Sonia. Um, I have done a wide range of things, which I guess we'll get into, but um, right now, I um, earlier this year, founded a company called Teletrive. Um, and it's a mental health platform that helps match people to therapists and coaches who understand their culture, language, or religion so that we can actually get culturally competent care. Um, but yeah, I guess we'll delve more into stuff in a bit. So we were just talking before the podcast actually started that you actually have a very interesting background because you started as VC, right? And then you move over to being an entrepreneur yourself. So do you want to tell us a bit more about that transition, how the, the whole idea behind Tele, um, Teletrive came about? Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, it's been a bit of a journey. Um, I, I actually studied psychology at uni uh, at Monash in Australia. Um, so I'm born and raised in Melbourne, um, but lived in seven countries now. Um, and, yeah, I I was kind of running a co-working space in Melbourne, then moved over to Sweden and was helping run an incubator there um, and then went into VC for a bit um, and then was also a startup mentor for a while as well. Um, so I've helped, yeah, a lot of startups now either kind of grow or um, expand or raise their first round of funding um, from VC as well. Um, so, yeah, it's been a definite interesting journey and, and being on the other side now as well, which is, um, yeah, really exciting, but also a lot more work <laughs> um uh, and yeah it's, yeah it's um yeah you definitely wear so many different hats and different roles um even though I was kind of doing you know quite a lot and working quite a lot previously it's uh it's a next level <laughs> right now um but yeah so basically it's uh it's been kind of a full circle to some degree because I did study psychology I did really like learning more around that area um And my dad was always an entrepreneur, so I guess I kind of fell into the startup ecosystem that way, just being around it from when I was quite young. Um, kind of runs in the family now. Exactly, yeah, for sure. Uh, so yeah, but but when I um, so my partner's Danish, um, and then when we uh, moved to London, so he got a job here, um, and then I decided to move over and in that process of, you know, quitting my job and dealing with visas and everything, um, I, I basically wanted to um, start something of my own. I think I was ready to kind of not be on the sidelines, if that makes sense. Like yeah. when you're investing or you're mentoring, you, you kind of get a small glimpse into it and you can maybe help to a certain degree, but, you know, you, you're not in there, not in the trenches, you're not building it. And I just really wanted to, to try and build it and, or build something. And um, this was just an area where I've experienced issues myself. And I just really felt like this product needed to be in the market. And there wasn't anything else like this out there. So yeah, it's, it's quite it's funny, because you're telling me before what, what Teletrive is all about. Harry, I don't know if, you, if you're aware of this, but you pretty much and I'm going to completely get this wrong. So please correct me any, yeah. anytime. Um, but it's It's a, it's a place where people can find therapists in their own language and then really understand their culture, right? Yeah, exactly. So it's quite interesting because for me, you know, if, if I go and see my therapist, it's always important to find someone who actually understands the mindset that I have and the background and my culture and really understand, okay, this is where he's struggling with because he's trying to adapt himself to something different. This is actually a problem that I think a lot of expats actually find it throughout the world, right? And, you know, if yeah. you're traveling all, all over the world, you probably have the same type of thing. Like, I can actually help people here. Yeah, 100%. Um, I mean, you know, if you look at the general stats and, and you know, the whole world is basically made for, for white men. 
Um, if you look at, you know, even how many calories you're meant to eat or any of those standardized things, they're all made for men. And all of the research has also been done on white men. Um, and so when you look at, you know, there's that, okay, general things in terms of, you know, health or the way the world's made or the fact that airbags were never, you know, tested on women, um, or women dummies and things like that, you know, it's, it's, that's quite common. Um, but when you also look at kind of personalized healthcare, um, there really, really isn't much that is for people that have a different background. And so when you kind of, you know, take my example where I was born and raised in Australia, but my parents were from Malaysia and then we have quite a bit of Indian heritage, but you know, my dad moved back to Malaysia 20 years ago, all my family's in Malaysia. I've never lived there, but I've spent a lot of time there. And, you know, I growing up in Australia never really felt like I completely belonged because I kept getting asked the question of where are you from? And I would say, well, I'm Aussie. And it's like, well, where are you really from? And you're like, ah, oh, that question, you know, and it's just, you get it all the time because they kind of have to place you into this box, right? And make you feel like, well, you're not completely Australian or you're not completely British or whatever it is. Um, London is a huge melting pot, which is amazing. But kind of once you go out of this, you know, big city, it's quite different. Um, and then, you know, I'd go back to Malaysia every year on vacation and, you know, they'd be like, well, you're not Malaysian, you're Australian. <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> um, and so, you know, those kind of cultural identity issues came about quite early for me. And then, you know, I'd, I'd gone to see a therapist kind of in my early 20s and I was saying some of the stuff my parents were doing and, and saying and they told me to cut them out of my life. And I was like, well, yeah, right? <laughs> like that's not really the solution here <laughs> like um so it was really frustrating and um you know I was kind of saying well these are Asian parents like they don't have boundaries like that's yeah. pretty normal <laughs> um like I I don't love it and I agree on like boundary setting but like cutting them out is, is not something that I was gonna do <laughs> you're extreme, you're just cut them off just eliminate the problem completely then you won't have any more problems oh okay that's brilliant right right and it's like oh my god you know they can't be doing this and it's like well yeah i don't think you understand asian parents <laughs> um and so that was really frustrating and then uh when i moved over to sweden it was the first time that i'd experienced like proper racism uh so you know i'd had as someone put their finger up at me on the bus i'd had you know, someone say like, you know, get out of the country. I'd had a nurse say, you know, you're the dirty one here. Look at you. Um, yeah, it was intense. Um, and I, and I had asthma, so I didn't even look sick. Um, so there's, there's no other way you can take that comment. (laughs) Wow. Okay. That's yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Confronting. (laughs) That's, um, I, I never experienced that to that level myself, but I can imagine that's that's highly traumatizing. You don't expect that from, from anyone. Yeah, and and to be honest, you know, I haven't really experienced it to that degree until, you know, what at the time I was maybe 29, 30. And, you know, it was really confronting. And I was like, okay, like this stuff keeps happening here. And, you know, I, I need to go and see someone to deal with this. Um, and so basically asked a few friends and wanted to see a therapist. And one of my friends was saying that, oh, well, I have this uh, therapist and she's American. So maybe she'll understand racism because she's American. Um, and I thought, okay, well, actually that makes sense. Probably better than, than a white Swedish person. Um, and, uh, and yeah, she just really didn't. (laughs) Um, so. (laughs) I mean, um, what was she from a different ethnicity? Um, she was white American. Um, but still, you know, I thought, well, living most of your life in in America with obviously the, the issues that there is present over there. Um, I, I, and, you know, this is actually around the same time as Black Lives Matter. Um, and so I just really thought that, yeah, there would be a better understanding of that. But basically just paid for the hour to explain to her the racism that I was facing. And just, yeah, it was a lot of me kind of educating her around my situation. And so I was saying, well, I can, I can tell my friends this and they can respond like this and I don't need to pay them. (laughs) Um, And we can probably have a wine at the same time. (laughs) So. so, so, 
So it's, yeah. an, it's a really interesting story, and uh, I've been listening here, so I don't want to say too many things because when people look at me, they think white British person, but they're very far from that. Because again, it skin color is one thing, but background and ethnicity, it's a uh, it's a very different process. But yeah, it's uh, there's always one famous thing that comes to mind from what you're talking, and it's it's a book that was written by Sujata Baha, and not many people who don't understand who that is, anybody in England or most people in England would have done that for their GCSEs. And it's a very famous book called Search for My Tongue. Mm. To, you know, it's all about this woman trying to find her identity, losing her culture and other areas as well. You know, for me, it was an interesting book. GC, English GCSE-wise, I did not like it because it was very hard to understand because it's like, okay, there's so many things here, it's different cultures. But what you mentioned was a very similar story to what she said. She has to hide her ethnicity. She has to hide all these things. How she comes to the country and really kind of, change what you're looking for in order to kind of fit in and it's a it's a really good book i kind of recommend having a look into but i was the question that came to mind because you mentioned about america and and england and kind of other stereotypes but the one thing i've always noticed that america is you know racism exists there very heavily whereas england a lot of it is classism so that's what i find more especially kind of working class background and parents it's it's who you associated what classes and I guess the question mm. I would say is, how has your business model been applied to the UK? Because as an English person, we don't really move towards you know, therapists. It's, it's not really known mm. for a, a working class individual to go and do therapy because it's, you know, keeps yourself. And as you probably realise with most English, they're very polite. They kind of keep things hidden behind closed doors and they're not mm. really, you know, extroverted or going out there and shouting about their problems. How have you, how have you kind of combated that? Yeah, it's it's very interesting, and you know, every every country and culture has a different take on this. And in in general, obviously, we we can't generalize around everyone in the UK, obviously either. But um, and I really don't want to single out, you know, certain countries. Like, obviously, I experience racism in Sweden. I know other people who have never experienced it. I don't know other people who have experienced it a lot, right? Um, I also didn't experience much in Australia, however. I know a lot of friends who have. So I think, you know, I'd also don't want to kind of pinpoint one country to be better or worse. Unfortunately, racism exists in a lot of countries. Um, and yeah, in the UK, there's definitely, definitely a different type of take on it. I will say that in the US, more people are open about saying, oh, well, you know, my therapist this, or I see a therapist or, you know, it, it's definitely more open around therapy uh, or coaching as well. In saying that, the NHS right now, there is a four-month minimum wait list to see a therapist through the NHS. And so, and that's, you know, several calls, like you have to like, I think, fill in a form online and then have a call with them and say the exact same answers and then fill in another form and assessment online. It, it takes months, right? And so if you're suicidal at the moment, it takes two to three months to see someone. Uh, and so if you obviously are not that severe case, then it's four to six months on average at the moment. And that means that you're not actually even matched to someone that could be the, the perfect match for you, the best match option. And it's just kind of anyone, like anyone who's available at the time. And that's, that's who you go see, which means that that kind of drop off is also quite extreme in mm -hmm. terms of even if you get to the front of the queue and you get to see someone, it's actually quite bad. So People are obviously starting to realize this and start to reach out and, you know, go for other apps or other online services also because, you know, obviously London especially is, it takes forever to get anywhere. I realized this year. <laughs> uh, and also all the tube strikes and, and train strikes. So, you know, there is more of a movement towards being online and also going private because they're realizing that they kind of have to pay out of pocket. Uh, obviously it, it isn't accessible, including our platform. It isn't accessible to everyone. We wish it was. And there are actually ways that we are trying to make it, um, accessible as possible. So for example, we are direct to consumer. However, we're also selling to corporates for their employee benefits. And mm -hmm. we're already setting up some pilot projects with some really big corporates. And actually what we want to do is not just them pay us for their employees, but actually getting them to pay us on top of so we can actually give out sessions pro bono to people that can't afford it. And so right now, like unless there's a charity, there's really no other platform that's actually helping do this and, and be able to give out sessions. And so we really want to kind of promote that. And, and the few corporates that I've already talked to are like, absolutely, we'll do this. We'll take that out of our marketing budget 
because it looks great for them, but it also means that we can actually supply some need that otherwise wouldn't be able to pay for it. Have you ever considered having a look at schools and universities as well? Because we had a really interesting, uh, it wasn't, I would say startup, a charity that came to one of our events. It was, the name slips my name, but the uh, one of the founders is called Karen on there. And uh, she gave a really good pitch about it costs £7,000 just to have a school therapist come in and all these schools can't really do it. But there's kids nowadays that actually need therapy from a really young age on that side. And what you kind mm-hmm. of described about the pro bono approach, kind of getting in there, proving concept, it could be quite an interesting ground rather than kind of doing it later in life. Get to the uh, the individuals at an earlier stage, just to kind of go over any insecurities, any problems, any anything that's going at home and stuff like that. Because, again, when you mentioned about the NHS waiting list, there's nothing at schools and it costs yeah. such a ridiculous amount of money just to have someone in there for maybe one day. I don't know if, if that could ever be something you would ever consider as well. It definitely is. Um, as to now around kind of the legality, we are only supplying it to above 18. Um, so you have to be over the age of 18. We are looking to kind of lower that later. But however, to start with, um, it's, it's easier for us legality to be able to roll it out. And so, but actually university students and especially international students are are one of our biggest main target markets because that makes so much sense. And a lot of the time, it's the first time where someone is overseas and they're in a new country. It's maybe a different culture. It's maybe a different language. uh, And they might want to speak their, their native language. You know, even, even people like my partner, for example, who's Danish, you know, he's fluent in English, studied in it, worked in it for so many years. And yet, at the same time, he would probably still prefer to speak Danish. Oh, everyone would. And so, natural, natural language. It's more comfortable rather than, uh, you know, everyone exactly. in the UK tries to learn a language. But as you notice, no one in the UK is actually good at a second language, <laughs> unless you're really yeah. into it. We spoke French. It's Aussies. <laughs> yeah, it's the same as Aussie. I don't know why. It's so bad that we didn't learn another language. Um, yeah, it's actually quite, uh, yeah, quite awful when you look at most Europeans and they can speak like three languages. But language is also part of the culture because there's so many words that have a meaning that's not well translated into English. So if you try to explain certain concepts, and I'm, I'm thinking from my own background in, in Portugal, we like to think that soldade, which is a feeling of belonging that has to, mm. it doesn't really translate well at all to English. But it's like this uh, melancholy type of thing. But if you try to explain mm-hmm. that in English, people, oh, you're just melancholic. You might be depressed. Actually, no, that's not really what I'm feeling right now. It's something very, very specific. So unless you find a therapist that actually really kind of understands your culture, it's going to be absolutely impossible. And I can understand from, from, from where you're telling me about your parents and the background and even the involvement they would have in your you know everyday life. It's like, I, I get it as well, right? Because I come from Portugal, but it's the same thing. I talk to my parents every day. And it's great, and I feel amazing. But at the same time, it might be a bit too much for some people. And yeah, yeah it's just it's a b- big culture shock. And then finding a therapist that really gets that—that's like a journey. It's a whole journey. I think it's even worse than finding, uh, uh, you know, a, a relationship because it, it's such yeah. a more intense matchmaking process, isn't it? Like, do they get my culture? Do they get where I'm coming from? Do they get the whole ideas or not? Because yeah. if they give you the the box standard answer, you're just going to feel frustrated after a couple of sessions and think actually. You know, no one can get what I'm trying to say. And even for, I guess, international students coming here, if they feel a bit isolated and then find a therapist that really doesn't work in the same wavelength, it's not going to work, right? Exactly. No, that's exactly right. I mean, you, you, we, we shouldn't have to educate our therapist or anyone that we pay to, you know, understand what we're going through. It, it really shouldn't be like that. And it, and it should be that we can get care straight away. And obviously, yes, I completely agree with you. It is kind of like dating. Um, But obviously, you can kind of go, okay, well, I think this type works the best for me. And then you can kind of go, you know, start with those, um, that demographic rather than kind of just going, okay, there's this many people and like, yeah, okay, let's just start from wherever. And then, you know, it's less likely or less work at least to get to the right therapist if you're starting at a baseline of them understanding you. And, you know, I think if, especially if, I, you know, you ask a lot of women, would you prefer a male or female therapist? Majority of them would say, I'd prefer a female. And when you ask them why, it's the reason is kind of, well, they understand me or they they get my situation or they get what I'm going through. And well, my reasoning is, well, it's the exact same thing here, but it's just for cult- cultural language or religion. 
Mm-hmm. So for example, you know, I would, I want someone that, because we're matching on those three things, right? So we're really not excluding anyone, you know, if we, we really want to kind of ideally target someone that is maybe not, you know, heritage wise is maybe not in their, their home country, or they want to speak their native language or, or has a different religion potentially to what's the majority. And so for me, I need someone who understands my cultural background um, and having kind of Asian families, right, and and the different dynamics there. But then for me, English, I only speak English fluently. Uh, so, you know, uh, I speak a bit of Malay. But, um, uh, and so definitely need my session in English. And then for me, religion doesn't play a big part in my life. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my I was brought up Christian, but I, I don't practice. And so I don't care where my therapist or what my therapist practices. Whereas someone else, for example, um, you know, a friend of mine would say, well, Indian background, um, you know, from London um, and is Muslim. And they would say, well, I don't care where in the world my therapist is from culturally, but I would care about them being Muslim. And so it's kind of like, you know, what are those parameters that you want to base it off? Or, for example, the older generation, especially the ones that were the range marriage age, are coming forward quite a lot for therapy now. And a lot of them want to obviously speak their native tongue. Yeah, of course. It's it's, it's kind of something that I don't don't think most people realize how complex it can be. Because London is an amazing city. It's an immense melting pot but if cultures, yeah. right? I think half of the population in London was actually not born in London, which mm-hmm. makes it quite interesting. But at the same time, when we start mingling and finding relationships and all that, you might end up with, you know, a couple that matches and they come from very different parts of the world, very different religions. And then they work with colleagues that come from completely different backgrounds and you have such a huge culture shock. They need to navigate all this landscape. It's quite complex, I think. I, you know, I find it complex myself and I'm like, okay, here I was thinking I was actually from Europe, but apparently not. I come from continental Europe, which is a whole different place, very far away from the UK, uh, depending on who you ask, right? So it's, it's, it's a complex thing. I'll jump in there really quickly. Um, I was going to ask, who are your main competitors in the market? Because I know at the beginning of COVID, mental health was a really, really big factor and everyone was throwing you know, big bucks at this area. Would you say you've, you've kind of come in at the right time or you still, you know, is it, is it a very competitive marketplace, I would say? Like, what's your view on that? Yeah, no, it's it's a great question. So, yeah, basically, BetterHelp is the biggest competitor, I would say, in the UK. Um, I'm not gonna, yeah, say too many too many bad words about that. But um, it's I've tested pretty much most mental health platforms out there, let's say, and I've gone through the flow, and I have yeah, basically tested a lot of them myself and actually taken sessions on them myself. So. My biggest issue with BetterHelp is that they take a massive cut from their therapists, which means a lot of the therapists don't have much experience uh, or are less experienced than if you would be able to get customers private practice. And so they take 60 to 65% cut from the therapists. Yeah, it's a massive amount. Yeah, it's a big cut. Yeah. And so the therapist gets paid about £18 a session, which is quite low. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I think that's one issue is that maybe they're not getting the most experienced therapists on their platforms. Um, the other thing is that, so for example, actually a friend of mine actually screenshot it and I, I have it on our, um, on mm-hmm. our pitch deck actually, but basically it's from BetterHelp and it says, it said to her, she's Indian in London and it said, we request, we understand that you requested a therapist of color. However, due to unavailab- unavailability, we can't offer you this. And your best match is X. Um, and, and it obviously wasn't a person of color. And, you know, I'd gone through the flow myself. By the way, there's about 60 questions that you have to answer. Okay. Really not necessary. And then when I was going through the flow, just as a, you know, person that's been in tech for a while, I was just thinking to myself and I was getting asked a lot of really random questions like, what is my eating habits and, you know, like those type of things. And I'm like, well, what does this have to do with, by mental health like this was it was very far from it right um and so as I was doing the flow uh, you know so many times I was like I just want to stop this I don't want to do this anymore you know if if you have a mental health you know concern and you want to get help for it doing 60 questions is pretty insane okay first of all and second of all I got to the end 
And then I was like, they must be selling data. Why are they asking for this many questions? So I literally Googled it and I found out that the UK government fined them this year, like seven million pounds for selling data illegally. Oh, really? On, yeah. on, on such private matters as well. Yeah. That, that's quite serious, isn't it? Yeah. Very serious. Wow. So it's insane. And then basically I asked for a female therapist. You don't get an option straight away, by the way, which is like, you know, instant gratification. Everyone wants that nowadays, okay. especially if you want help for something. You know, for us, it's, you know, you answer 13 questions. So it's quite short. And then you get options of two therapists or two coaches that best suit your answers. And then you get to decide and book in a time with them. Even if the time is not till next week, at least you know that that is done and booked. Yeah. Whereas basically with them, you fill in all these questions and then they say, oh, we'll email you with your match. You then don't get an option. I waited three days. I had a friend that waited four days to get emailed with their therapist. I asked for a female. I got matched with a male. Yeah, that doesn't really work that way, does it? Because you, yes, yeah, silly. That's just completely silly. It doesn't make any sense. But are you paying until this stage or not? No, so no, no, no. Which means their drop-off must be massive, right? I mean, the fact that you have to go through the email and then go back onto the platform to book the appointment when my match wasn't even correct. It's not even that. Is that think about it from the customer perspective. It must be incredibly frustrating to be in that position because they ask you 60 very personal questions, which... Yeah. You know, uh, uh, as you said, they probably sell the data onwards, and then you, do, you get matched with the wrong person. I'm like, why? That's you better off just going online and googling therapists in my area and trying to see one that kind of matches who do you think would be the right one. So yeah, it's just crazy. Yeah, it's really bad. And and to be honest, you should get at least like one option. You know, like you should get at least two people and go. Okay, you get to choose. A lot of people want to kind of make that own decision themselves as well. And so, yeah, I think that's really important. So that's, I, you know, I think last year their revenue was over 1 billion pounds. So, yeah, but a lot of that majority of that is coming from selling data. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. Um, but basically, you know, that, that's the biggest one in terms of competitors. Right now, there's not really any that's, you know, properly widespread that is for this different ethnicities and culture and language and religion. There is Black Minds Matter in the UK, which is obviously specific to black people. Um, it's amazing. They discount the sessions quite heavily. And then there's Arab therapy in the UAE, which is obviously focused on the Arabic market and Muslim population. Um, and then there's, you know, focus ones on females or on queer community or social isolation or Italian market. There's literally nothing for a lot of the different things that we face as as people of color or different ethnicities. So, for example, like one of the main things is, you know, obviously cultural identity issues, racism, uh, generational trauma, interracial couples. Um, you know, maybe it's like also like if you find a partner and they're like, why do you talk to your parents every day? Like, this is weird for me, you know, but it's like, well, to me, it's normal. Right. But, um, but, you know, all these different things. Um, and then also it's kind of, um, it, it's an education piece as well. I will say that we're not just building a platform that is like any other mental health platform and just targeting a different demographic. We're actually building it for our target market. And that means a heavy education piece because a lot of us didn't grow up talking about mental health. A lot of the times it's that, you know, your parents have maybe immigrated to the country and it's been really tough on them. And then they don't talk about things. And, you know, from my case, for example, if you ever talked about, you know, your mental health or, or like I feel down or whatever, it was like, oh, we'll just toughen up. Like you're fine, toughen up, you know, and, and that's unfortunately the case for a lot of us. And so, we really want to kind of explain like what is generational trauma or, you know, um, is there visa stress? Like that's one of our options, you know, because that's a big thing when you move to a new country as well. Yeah. No, but it's it's funny you mentioned all all these things because they play a massive role in the way we integrate into society. It's not just the language. It's not just the different culture, different habits. It's also everything else that comes with it, right? You mentioned uh, generational uh, trauma. That does play a role in how we interact with the world. Uh, you mentioned in, you know, inter, interracial uh, relationships. That's a, that's a massive thing. It's the way we... It, it's funny because you know, 
I have a background that you know I've had that that experience. Harry also has that experience, um, and it's 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 a big thing. And if you don't understand where the other person is coming from in their culture, it's never going to work out. And also the values and all that. So we need to talk about these things more openly. Um, it's it's quite impressive. Are you just focusing on the UK market right now, or are you doing this globally? Because I would imagine yeah. someone from the UK in the US might have same type of uh, shock and trauma. Oh my God, they only drink coffee, no tea. It's horrible. Um, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Um, I've trained myself to drink tea now instead of coffee. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, although herbal tea, I can't. I can't do okay. the the milk situation. Um, but, no. Um, uh, so yes, we're starting in the UK um, because you know the company's registered here. Uh, I'm based here in London now as well. Um, however, UK and EU is where we're. It's going to be available straight away. So we're launching in just over a week. Um, we're testing with um, yeah a few clients. Uh, so about 50 users and about 35 therapists and coaches who a lot of them are from yeah, very different backgrounds, different cultures, um, and also speak a lot of different languages um, and then obviously have a lot of different religions. So starting in the UK and EU, um, video calls, and then we're expanding to Canada and Australia as the next two markets, mm -hmm. um, mostly because it is uh, Commonwealth countries, which means the legality around those countries are a lot easier to, to get around. Um, the US is a definitely interesting market for us. If you look at the numbers, 100 million people, over 100 million people of color over the age of 18 live in the US. Yeah. And it's insane. It's, and it's only the, the stats actually say that I think Spanish will be the first um, the first language being spoken in the US in 2050 or something like that. So you, <laughs> you're bound to have a lot of you know changes happening in society because of that. And even in Europe, when, when we see the numbers of, of immigrants moving back and forth, and I'm an immigrant myself, it's quite impressive. You look at, you know, France, uh, you mentioned uh, Sweden, Denmark, uh, Germany, there's a massive influx of people coming in from different cultures, and we need to address this. We need to, um, how should I put this, um, we need to accommodate for everyone and make sure that everyone actually gets hurt by either be the national health system of their own country or, or something else, right? And this is a, a brilliant solution. So I kind of know you're raising, but you want to tell us a bit more about that? How is that going? Yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, it's going well. Um, we are, we're raising a, a pre-seed round now. And so we're over 50% committed with uh, some angels and um, looking to yeah, basically close early next year. Um, so yeah, it's going well. Um, I will say that some of the conversations I've had with investors who unfortunately typically are white male investors, um, yeah, it's, it's been hard to un get them to understand. <laughs> and I think to be honest, I, I kind of expected that. Uh, and so I, you know, my, my partner's white Danish and I would say to him like, what got you to understand this properly, you know, and I'd really try and like get an understanding, right. And then, and Nordics is, you know, I would say less diverse in the UK, right? Um, and so I'm really trying to get an understanding of that and, and how to explain it the best. But, you know, it's, I, I think I'd underestimated how much they don't want to learn about this area. Yeah. But it's, it's a growing market. I mean, you cannot, if you keep on ignoring people of different backgrounds, you keep on missing also on the economic opportunity that brings, right? Because if, you know, when you have people from different backgrounds, they have different requirements. I was looking at some, some news article about how places that have the higher Muslim population in the UK tend to eat a lot more meat. So butchers are actually thriving in those communities because people want to buy meat. Whereas in everywhere else, people just want to go vegan. And I'm not getting into the Holy Spirit about, you know, being vegan, not being vegan, but there is a difference. But there's also economic opportunity there. So if I'm an investor, I'll obviously look at that. How are you finding, because you have a background as an investor and, and all that, how are you finding that, um, you know, that engagement with, 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 with asking for money now? Are they more receptive or are they like, you know what, no, because you still, you still there's like some red flags you can find out or I don't know. Yeah, what? for sure. So, so yeah, I mean, I think our, one of the biggest, you know, things is that they just don't understand the market. Um, and so they just kind of say no, because they, they go, well, I don't get it. So, you know, and I've literally told investors, like, can you please go and ask some people of color, <laughs> you know, like, would they need this solution? Like talk to them rather than just going, oh, we don't get it. Like, we're just, we're just not going to take the risk. Uh, and so, you know, I've literally had to go to them and say, go and go and research this like you would any other product. 
So, for example, if it's a white male investor or male investor in general, let's just take that. You know, if it was a femtech product, like a female health product, most investors would kind of go, oh, well, you know, I don't know anything about this. Like, tell me about it or educate me around it. Whereas I tend to come in the room and, and talk about, you know, racism or cultural identity issues or, you know, those type of things. And they go, oh, well, I understand racism. Like, it's not that bad or, you know. It, and it's just, you know, like, oh, the market's too small. Yeah, we're not going to invest because the market's too small. There's over 100 million people of color in the U.S. alone over the age of 18. And we have literally no direct competitors. How is the market too small? Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. But it, it's it's hard. I, I think it's it must be incredibly frustrating for a founder to go over and talk with an investor and them not asking the right questions because for example we had um one of our um, events we had Kari good from cup square she uh, built this device that cleans menstrual cups now mm-hmm. as you probably noticed by, by now me and harry have really no needs for menstrual cups right <laughs> so the whole idea behind it was okay oh, i know what the menstrual cup is but why is that a problem and i ask okay can you tell me more about it because I don't, I don't get the whole like I, I get why you use one but i don't get why you need the, the and she told me actually if you're, you know, out in public space, it's real. It's a nightmare to take it out and all this thing. I'm like, oh, okay. I never even thought about that it. Yeah. But I asked the question, right? It's the bare minimum you should do is like ask the question, like understand why is there a problem? Oh, okay. I get the problem now. Fine. Yeah. Exactly. I just want to jump in. I don't think it comes down to the color of the, like, for instance, I did a startup around seven years ago, renewable energy and vertical farming. And I had one of the most hardest challenges ever to convince individuals who have never ever been in agriculture have never ever been on a farm have never got anything dirty or worked in their life in those areas to to go into these systems and they're like oh yeah this is the future but the main thing is as you said it's it's the understanding of that market and they didn't understand it they're like where's my return on investments will the farmers use it you know overall it was hard the only money in vertical farming is through patents and research everything else is kit supplies you know and if you took in, take into you look into account, let's say England, England's around fifteen years behind America. It's around twenty mm-hmm. years behind Europe. Europe's so advanced in vertical farming that they're already knocking on everybody's door. It's just England wants to kind of keep them out for the time being and uh, kind of let English founders get out there. But the whole thing is, it, it's about finding your niche. And there's a lot of funds out there that are tailored towards female founders, obviously founders of of EDI influence and backgrounds, but. Again, it's it's as you said, it's hard reaching out on the mass drive, and I, I don't know what your approach is. Are you kind of going out to every investor to say, "Hey, come to me, I've got this great idea"? Or have you kind of got your selected ones that you've you've done your research for? Is that kind of your approach, or is it more like a shotgun approach? Like, I'm ready, here I am, I've got something good. Yeah. So I think you know, on, on your kind of point before earlier, Ricardo, is that you know, obviously, it helps getting in the door. The fact that I've been in VC and startup mentoring before. So, you know, I kind of started off going to to VC funds because, you know, a lot of my friends are investors and, you know, it it made sense. And yeah, but um, we're basically at this point, they keep saying that we're too early because they need to see traction numbers, product and all of that, which, by the way, traditionally at Precede, you shouldn't have to. Mm -hmm. Uh, But because they don't understand the market exactly, like you said, Harry, is that that's why they want to see it. So I literally have a list of about 46 now VC funds that are later stage funds around seed stage that like really want investor updates and really want to invest in us in the next round. Mm -hmm. But they just, they want to see traction fast. And so, so that's kind of where we're at is that like, we've had so much interest, but they need to see traction because they don't trust that the market is there for it because they don't have these lived experiences and needs themselves. So we have been reaching out more specifically now because, you know, had chats with VCs and then gone, okay, they don't get it enough. Um, and so we just need to, to go through angels. And a lot of the angels that we have on board now, most of them have similar lived experiences to our target market. So they get it and they go, oh, well, absolutely. This makes so much sense. Uh, so they're so on board and they're so helpful. So yeah, now we're basically, I would say, targeting more angels that that just get it, and I shouldn't have to educate them. Similarly to Ivor, shouldn't have to educate our therapist or coach. <laughs> I also wanted to ask, like, I had a quick dig around your background on on LinkedIn, and it's a very impressive CV. How Thank fast you. did you put all this together? Because I've been looking ten months. You kind of at the stage, and with your background and experience with with Antler and other stuff, you you must have done a, probably done this in record time with all these experiences. Like, could you explain to people who are listening in? 
how what did you start off with was it just the idea your background like how did you get to where you are basically in less than 10 months yeah yeah exactly so yeah it's been like eight to nine months um it's been a lot of work um I won't doubt that uh so I mean honest to be completely frank my days look like 14 hour days at least and pretty much every weekend I think I've had one weekend off since April. We know the feeling. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I have worked a lot. Uh, I have brought on, uh, so obviously set up everything, uh, brought on an amazing team. And so we have, yeah, some team members here. So CMO and CFO based here in London, a CTO based in Stockholm, and a clinical psychologist, Norman, who specializes in racial trauma at Columbia University Department of Psychiatry. Uh, so he's based in, in New York. Uh, so he's helping us build out, obviously, our questions for our platform. And, and what we're going to kind of build out later is online CBT programs, so cognitive behavioral therapy programs. Um, so we've kind of, you know, set up that process. We've built the tech. With- How did you start? Like- where was your starting point on that? Because that would be quite interesting. It's because again, it's it's going back to the question. It's very fast the way you've done this. When was that kind of tweak? I have my MVP. I'm ready. Was that a week? Was that three months? Because the fact that you're already looking to raise and you're you're already what fifty percent there. That's that's a very fast time. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um. So I think my biggest thing earlier this year was okay. I've experienced this. A lot of my friends have experienced this. I need to know, especially coming from VC and mentoring, I'm like, well, you know, to be honest, I kind of have higher stakes here, right? Um, you know, I, it's, you know, I also lecture part-time at a university in entrepreneurship. Like, I want to know whatever I'm going to go out and build is going to fucking work. <laughs> um, uh, sorry, but, you know, um, I know that it's a product that I need in the market. I know it's, it, it is that my friends need, but how big of a problem is this? And, and also kind of researching what else is out there. And, you know, to be honest, when I kind of thought, okay, this is the problem I want to solve. Uh, this is roughly what I want to build. Well, I need to figure out what do others want me to build? And also what are the, what does the market look like competition wise? And I just, you know, I was like, okay, there'll definitely be something like this. And then I like just kept Googling and kept researching. And I was like, why? There's nothing like this. Uh, and so then basically sending out surveys to, to minorities around the world, people that have moved countries. Um, and, uh, and then also I've interviewed over 60 therapists and coaches now. So when did you find uh, your, say, once you got it all together, when did you know it was time for you to find your co-founders? Because you mentioned you got a couple, or your CMO and CFOs. When did you realize that it was time to get those involved? Because that would have been also quite early on, wouldn't it? Really early on. Uh, so none of us are taking a salary. We're all working for equity. So everyone's just like super passionate about this um, and really obviously believes that it's going to work. Um, so really early on, I started contacting my network. Uh, and so that's obviously where it gives me a massive leg up, right, in terms yeah. of obviously learnings, but also network. And so started pinging my network and was going, okay, well, this is the best, you know, tech person I know, um, you know, is he on board? And, you know, then reaching out to some my marketing friends and being like okay I need the best CMO there is who who's gonna you know be the best and so pretty early on I would say kind of around you know March or so um kind of like when I was you know sending out the surveys and getting responses back being like oh my god we need this um and also detailed responses as to why they needed it and what they wanted us to build so we're really building this around kind of the research that I've done and and also researching with interviewing the therapists and coaches, right? Because I'm asking them, well, what type of clients do you get come to you and why do they come to you? And, you know, that's actually when I also realized that the kind of older generation around, you know, 55 plus age group uh, that were, you know, kind of ethnic backgrounds were really coming forward for therapy. Whereas originally that wouldn't have been my assumption. Um, and so, yeah, just a lot of those learnings. And that's also why we rarely have a focus on language as well. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been a lot, but it's mostly been, you know, I, I wanted to make sure that I had the best team on board and that we're really building a product that people need and we will keep iterating it based on research. That's good. Uh, that's a good reply to that one. Cause the main point that really comes out of it is have a strong network, have a good community and, and really find your team or have it, as you said, your network, that's where you can find your team. Cause it's so hard to actually find a co-founder nowadays. I mean, there's loads of sites out there to say find your co-founder. I was lucky with Ricardo on this side because uh, we actually put a, a post in working startups on that side, and we kind of met just randomly and had a conversation and and kind of yeah, really? it, was, it was an interesting chat on that side. But it's really hard to find individuals that you really 
you know, go into business with, kind of work down the line. But I would say, would you say your network is probably one of the most important things for getting this off the ground? Yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, I think definitely the network and my team that I pulled together has, has been so helpful uh, in this journey. And, and the fact that obviously everyone really believes in it and they want to do everything and they care so much about this this problem. And so, you know, that's a big one. I think, I think I'm just really stubborn as well. I think, to be honest, like, that's a very good. Yeah, I mean, I'm just like, well, this needs to be in the market, so it's going to be in the market. So, I think it's kind of, you know, around. Well, I've done the research. I've made sure this is a need, and now we're just building it. I'm just, yeah, I'm going to do everything it takes to to get it there. To be completely honest. So, which thing we'll see you in? Two to, two to five years, I say two years down the line, where do you kind of hope to be? You've, you've raised your first round, you're going towards Series A, Series B, even in five years, where, where, do, you, where do you see yourself? Because you seem to want to, to conquer the world. You've got America, you've got Europe, you've got you know, even moving into Africa, that would be a slower one, but there's a big market there in Africa, especially with the, uh, the young population and everyone being quite techy over there as well. So where, where do you see yourself? 100%. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we want to expand globally and you know, not just expand in terms of video calls with your therapists and coaches, we want to expand the tech as well. So uh, for example, you know, right now, obviously, we're, we're matching you to therapists and coaches. And we want to be really clear about the fact that there are life coaches and executive coaches on our platform as well. So we're mild to moderate care. Um, and so that's also why coaches are really important. Uh, it's also a way in where, you know, m- more men are less likely to go to therapy. So, uh, it's just, unfortunately the statistics, but it means that they're more likely to go to coaching. And so that's kind of a way in. And all of our, a lot of our therapists and coaches are educated to know that if someone comes to a coach and presents trauma, that basically they need to pass them on to a therapist. And when a therapist kind of maybe sees someone for say six months and they're like getting better and they don't need them anymore, well then don't just let, you know, they don't have to drop off the platform. They can actually pass them to a coach. Uh, so we really want to kind of utilize that balance um, of passing back and forth. So video calls is obviously what we're starting with, but actually very quickly we want to build on our platform. So um, for example, okay, most people have an Apple watch or I have an aura ring. I can see how I slept last year in May. You have, I have no idea what my mental health was like last year in May. And so what I really want to do is start being able to visualize this on a dashboard. And right now you actually can't really do that. There are some apps to help you pick of like a smile, smiley scale, like, you know, smiley face to sad face. Um, and then you kind of pick there and actually Apple has now come out of that with their, with their health app that they've just launched as well, like the update mm-hmm. and, you know, okay, that's, that's a great start, I guess. But, you know, it's very subjective because my smiley face is not your smiley face. Uh, A lot of immigrants, for example, um, we tend to just go, well, we're fine, we're fine. And like kind of just, you know, pick probably on the more happy side than we actually are. Um, It's also a lot easier to lie to yourself um, and just go, oh, yeah, I'm fine. Um, Whereas, you know, what we want to do is a daily check in via voice to assess your emotion. So this is not a diagnosis in any way, but it will analyze your tone, your speed and the words that you say to, for example, you know, you'll answer in the morning or whenever you can, you know, how are you feeling today? And I'll actually talk and I'll vocalize it, which by the way, is very important to actually vocalize your thoughts every day. It's kind of like affirmations as well, right? Um, or you can actually pick up things that, you know, I'll be like, yeah, but I'm, I'm fine, you know, but my tone won't be fine. And then it'll pick that up. Right. So, um, those are the things basically that it's going to analyze and it can say, for example, you're speaking really fast today, or you're saying these certain words, you seem stressed. Is this true? So you agree or deny. And so, you know, we don't record anything. If you agree with it, it then gets plotted onto your dashboard and you can view that like you view your physical health. If you obviously say no, then you can pick other options. It's quite interesting you're saying that because, for example, with the health app, I got the, the Apple Watch and the iPhone and all that. Mm-hmm. But I can see when I'm at my best and when I'm at my worst, depending on how much exercise I've done. Yeah. And that's just one element of your overall well-being, right? What do you eat, who you talk to, if you're friends or not. That also plays a massive role on it. But being able to track all that, that'll be amazing. Because then I can actually say, you know what, I, I feel pretty low, but I can see why. I can see when that started and why. And then I can implement changes. 
And 10 years ago, 20 years ago, everyone was talking, well, 10 years ago, uh, people were talking a lot about journaling, right? Oh, journal. Mm. Talk about you. What are you doing? What are you not doing? How can you mind this? And that if we have some type of digital element to it, that'll be absolutely amazing. Because exactly. then you can implement change, right? If you measure things, you can change things. Exactly. But if you don't, exactly. it's up in the air. Exactly. And I think, you know, there's something called on the journaling aspect, there's something called 750 words. And mm-hmm. it's basically where you journal and you type it in and they analyze, you know, are you being positive or you're being, you know, negative today or, you know, the, the things that you're feeling, right? And it analyzes it based on the words that you use. And so basically this is just via voice. It's easier. No one likes chatbots. And to be honest, I've tested quite a few of these psychologist AI chat like things and they're awful. Okay. They don't work, you know, especially like when you actually speak to it and it's meant to speak back to you and be a therapist. Like I, I haven't tested one that works. And a sarcasm because I'm very sarcastic. So the more <laughs> sarcastic I am, the more upset I am. And they never get it. Oh, you, I'm doing an absolutely amazing. Actually, I'm not. But if you, you know, it's, it's a voice thing, yeah. definitely capture that. Yeah. And you just get more frustrated by it. And also it's not the same baseline, right? So for me, you know, previously it would say to someone, well, you're speaking really fast, so you seem stressed. For me, it's like, I speak fast all the time. Um, and so for me, it would be like, you're speaking really slow today. Are you down? Like, you know, um, and it, it should be my baseline of, of what is normal and what's not for me. And so, yeah, vocalizing that every day. And it, it's, it's quite hard to, you know, pinpoint your emotion. It's easier to wake up in the morning and go, okay, well, I feel tired today. But to pinpoint my emotion of what I'm feeling is pretty hard. Um, and so obviously it, it varies throughout the day, of course. So, you know, maybe we'll have like a day, a, a, you know, twice a day check-in type of thing, maybe morning and night or whatever. But but the point is, is that we really want to be able to see that on a dashboard and then exactly kind of what you were, you know, tapping into Ricardo is this holistic health, right? So I really want to be a platform for like holistic health. So for example, you could then plug in your Aura Ring, Apple Watch stats, whatever it is to your mental health stats. But then, you know, for example, a lot of the physical apps right now will tell you, okay, you slept really badly or your exercise was low today or whatever, but it won't tell you, it won't give you a solution to improve it. It won't be like, well, then do this, right? Um, So Whoop is the only one that's starting to give kind of insights and and actually suggest things. But basically what we want to do is, okay, you've agreed that you're stressed. Well, why don't you take this meditation class on our platform? Or why don't you book an appointment with a therapist today? Or reach out to a loved one because it's 75% more likely that it'll reduce your stress. Really like scientifically proven things um, that you can do to actually improve that. And it's, the, the impact of it is massive. So, you know, uh, the leading cause of death for men my age and Harry's age is, it's actually quite interesting. Uh, first off, when you're 18, I think it's car crashes. And then when you get past the age of 25 or so, it's actually suicide. Yeah. And then it, it becomes suicide until it becomes cancer. I'm like, hold on, we need to start talking about this. Yeah. Um, and if we don't measure these things, and if there's no way of analyzing it, and if we keep on bottling up our emotions, it's just going to pile up until until there's no more, right? Um, so getting something like that, I think there'll be a massive market for it. But again, you need to find those investors who ask these questions. Otherwise, what's the point? I mean, you just, you just literally uncovered two massive markets, two massive market needs there. And yeah, yeah I think, yeah, you're destined for great things. Yeah, so, yeah. exactly. Um, and I think just to, you know, uh, the, the other note here is that what we really want to build is that holistic platform. So there's actually a reason why I named it Tala Thrive. So mm-hmm. Tala means to speak in several languages. Um, and it means star in, in Tagalog in the Philippines. Um, but Thrive, we want to push movement around Thrive and not just survive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, if you look at a lot of the other mental health platforms right now, it's, you know, they have some sort of word of like mindler or better help or uh, calm or headspace, it has something to do with mental health in the, you know, in the name, basically. Um, And for us, we really want to do it as like a a positive thing and not be like, oh, I feel bad for you because you're really down. No, let's just like bring you back up. Let's like make you thrive. What else can we do for this holistic view on things? Because of course, our focus is on mental health and and it will always be, but we really want to pull in that pieces of holistic health as well. It's it's interesting. There's a very boring but yet interesting documentary on netflix as there are many uh, mm-hmm. this one is by jonah hill and it's conversations with my parents i don't know if you've you guys seen it but, uh, he kind of gives the formula to how to how to get better instead of just going oh just go on therapy actually no there is a formula that yeah. this therapy um, therapist tries to apply which is 
you exercise, you invite your friends, and then you create something. And then people kind of join you and you start feeling better about things. Because if you don't move your body, you're not going to feel better. If you don't go out and reach out directly to people, they're never going to reach it back to you. And if you don't get something started, nothing's going to start in your life. And when you start thinking about this, oh, hold on, actually, that makes sense. So this actually is telling me to go out and do something and then my life will get better instead of just moaning and, and stuff like that. So it's, I'm not saying that you should moan to your therapist, obviously. It's a very mm-hmm. complex uh, thing. But being proactive is a massive thing, right? I, I completely agree with you on it. But actually, I think just like uh, probably the last point on that, you know, one of the questions that we we ask actually, and I think this is really important because from testing a lot of the other mental health apps out there, I'm like, why are they not asking this question? But it's basically, what do you want out of your session? So basically, you know, people want different things. I, well, I'm quite a solution oriented person. And so I want to go in and I want like my therapist or coach to basically kind of suggest things or go, Hey, maybe you're doing this because of what you experienced in your childhood, or, you know, maybe you should do this or what do you think about this? Um, and you know, it, it's not okay to cut your parents out of your life type of thing, but it's, you know, potential suggestions that that could help it or at least help me come to a solution around it, right? Um, and so that's what I want. But a lot of people actually just want, you know, to go in and just vent and they just want to be heard and they don't want a solution. They don't want an option to, to kind of fix it. They just want to be heard. Um, and, and both of them are completely valid, right? But if you go in there and if I get someone that, you know, just asks me, well, how do you feel about that? And, and, you know, it's just very, you know, it just wants me to vent. I'm like, well, well, my partner and friends can deal with me venting (laughs) and I don't need to pay for this. So, you know, I won't get out what I want. And if someone goes in wanting to vent and they get someone that's, you know, oh, like, well, let's discuss this. Let's go into that. What about this? What what, what about this? And they're like, I don't want that. And so we really should be paying for and spending our time on something that will improve our situation, what we want out of it. So we have a question there going, you know, do you want someone that is um, more solution orientated versus kind of explorative or um, more of a talker versus listener? Um, and obviously a lot of our coaches can do both, but it's really interesting to for them to know what you want out of it so they can adjust. And also how you respond to things, right? Because I'll give an example of something that does not work for me at all. I love going to the gym. I love weightlifting, even though it doesn't look like it. But put me on the spin class, and I will get angry with the spinning structure because having someone shouting orders for me for 45 minutes, it's my idea of a nightmare. Get me on the bike, I'll go everywhere. But get me on the spin, I hate it, right? And that's the same thing with therapy. You know, get me like a boring therapist. I'm like, oh, no, my God. So how do you deal with your parents? How's your relationship with your mom? How's your relationship with your dad? I think the problems are coming all from the relationship with that. Like, no, they're not. I fixed that many, many years ago. Let's talk about something else. And yeah, you need to have like someone who's more practical. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I think, you know, if, if people also don't have these kind of lived experiences, for example, um, you know, I've, I've spoken to, to potential customers um, that, you know, this woman specifically, she was black and she'd gone to a therapist um uh, you know, who, who is, I think, white British. Um, and, you know, again, not generalizing here, anyone could kind of say this, but she really started relating everything to her being black. And so whatever it was, she'd be like, because it was kind of textbook, I guess, right? And it was kind of like, oh, well, you know, yeah, you're having problems. Yeah, but I think that's because your heritage. Or yeah, but I think that's because of your skin color. And that's probably why they said that. And it's like, well, it's not always the case. <laughs> um, you know, maybe I just, I don't know, had a really bad boyfriend, whatever it was. It's just, you know, it shouldn't always be related to that um, either. So sometimes, yes, of course, you know, that was a racist comment that I had. Great. Like that's, you know, it's not yeah. great, but you get what I mean. Like, whereas sometimes it, it isn't meant to be like that. And we shouldn't just be assuming that just because, you know, they said that just because of the color of my skin as well. So Someone that kind of understands that complexity as well and doesn't go back to textbook of, oh, it's because of that then. Yeah, I've had it happen. Actually, a funny thing on the NHS, like great service, not not disputing that, but um, they realized, hey, you have, a, you know, your liver is a bit changed. Do you drink a lot? I'm like, no, actually, I don't drink at all. And me and Harry are the same because neither me or Harry actually drink. Um, mm. So it becomes very funny when you go to the doctor, you should stop drinking, Mr. Pascal. I don't drink. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure it's, you know, those, those issues are coming from somewhere else, but I do eat a lot of sugar though. So that's probably why. Um, so yeah, things like that, people should, 
success story. Exactly. They'll just assume that like, oh yeah, you guys go out a lot. No. <laughs> yeah. I, I was I was always commenting with my friends uh, that when I moved to the UK, they asked me, how many units of alcohol do you consume per week? And it starts with two. The question at least it starts with two. I'm like, I actually don't drink like, that much. <laughs> exactly. There's no option for that. How is this possible? Um, so it's it's things like that that don't make any sense. And then when they ask you, like, um, it's a completely different topic here. Uh, what's your um, skin color or ethnicity? And they ask, uh, I don't know if you, if you feel the same thing, Harry, but they say uh, white British, white Irish, and then other white. I'm not thinking, hold on. Ireland only actually became independent in 1921. So you're telling me between the 1921 and now, there was such a massive genetic difference that you now have white Irish and white British, and that's completely different. Like, it doesn't make any sense, right? But it's things like that. No, exactly. Exactly. We need to change some of the systems, but yeah. All right, um, if people want to find you, um, how can they do so? Sorry, Harry, do you, do you have any questions? No, no, no question, no. <laughs> Yeah, amazing. Um, yeah, so obviously Tala Thrive, so T-A-L-A Thrive uh, .com to our website. You know, definitely go there. If you're interested in our service at all, please do uh, sign up on our wait list. Um, so right now we're just testing it with, with a bunch of uh, first users and then we'll release it early next year. So Yeah, if you're a user, go onto our website. If you're a therapist or coach, obviously, come contact us through the website. Um, we're on Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, um, and, and obviously you can contact me uh, through yeah either email, Sonia, at talathrive.com um, or, or Instagram or LinkedIn as well. Sonia, thank you so much for your time today. It's been absolutely brilliant. And good luck with the fundraising. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. Okay. Hold on. Don't hang up just yet because we need to